Welcome, One Church. How y'all doing? Fantastic. My name is Chris. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and we are coming to a close of our series entitled, What Would Jesus Say? We're going to be talking about Ellen today, and next week we're going to be talking about Sergeant Bowie Bergdahl. That should be a fun one. And uh, so, so glad you're here. Uh, Today, um, we are going to be talking about Ellen, and Ellen is just one of those people, I mean, follow me on this one. You you throw out some like one word name women. I mean, you got Madonna, you got Brittany, you got Rihanna, you got Cher, you got Angelina, and Ellen is is one of those, all you have to say is her first name and everybody knows who you're talking about. Uh, Ellen was born in Louisiana, right outside of New Orleans, and she got her start uh, as a stand-up comedian. Her father was an insurance salesman, and her mom was a working mother and who divorced her dad when she was a teenager. Uh, when she was growing up, Ellen dreamed of becoming a veterinarian. Uh, but she gave up that idea after she realized she really wasn't that book smart. Instead, she waited tables, she sold vacuum cleaners, can you imagine that? Uh, she painted houses and she worked as a legal secretary. Ellen's older brother, Vance, was considered to be uh, really the comedian of the family, and he was a former correspondent for The Daily Show. Um, However, during a public speaking event, Ellen, who found herself terribly frightened by the crowd, she was very nervous, and she used humor to kind of be able to diffuse her nervousness, and she was a massive and a huge hit. Uh, At the age of 23, she began performing at coffee houses, She sent an audition tape into Showtime that she won the Funniest Comedian in America contest um, with a relatively pretty much clean stand-up routine. Um, Ellen got her big debut, though, on the Johnny Carson show back in 1986 where she earned the distinction of being the only female comic to be invited on Johnny Carson's couch the very first time which was really unheard of at that time. Ellen's later starred in her own sitcom. How many of y'all ever saw the Ellen sitcom? All right, very good. Uh, about five years it ran, and, uh, but where she has really shown is the Ellen DeGeneres show that started back in 2003. Uh, she's won 13 Emmys, 14 People's Choice Awards. Uh, Ellen is also the voice, as you saw on the video, of Dory, the, the fish who has really short-term memory problems. This is so interesting. Finding Nemo, it actually got a billion dollars at the box, box office. And the DVD Finding Nemo, it actually sold more than any other DVD in history. Isn't that crazy? How many of y'all like Finding Nemo? Totally. Everybody in here. If you didn't raise your hand, you're not American. Right? <laughs> Just saying. In fact, one of the things I was watching the Ellen DeGeneres show a while back and, uh, of course, they're, they're supposed to be making a Finding Nemo 2, and it's, I think it's called Finding Dory. But it actually has been put on the shelf right now. Uh, and, but really, I'm really excited about that because I so loved Finding Nemo. Really, really cool. Ellen is hilarious. She's absolutely hilarious. She's hosted the Primetime Emmy Awards and the Academy Awards. How many of y'all saw her hosting the Academy Awards this past year? Hilarious. What was the most memorable scene of the entire night? This one right here. Y'all ready? Time to take a selfie. Right here. Everybody smile. Ready? Very good. That celebrity selfie 
when it went out on Twitter, it actually shut down Twitter. It was actually retweeted over two million times that night, and Twitter shut down. In fact, I, I remember thinking, that is the coolest thing. And I totally remember the pizza dude. Totally remember that. I just saw it was ingenious. And what's so cool about this, and, and Ellen totally deserves this. Ellen was voted last year the most likable woman in Hollywood. She's just easy to like. She's hilarious. She's funny. And when you sit there and you watch the Ellen DeGeneres show, it's like she knows you and you know her. So t- today we're going to be asking, what would Jesus say to Ellen? What would Jesus say to Ellen? Well, I think he would say to Ellen, I love your heart. I love how you're such a generous person. In fact, watch this clip of her generosity. This is so cool. Watch this. In just a few days, over 10 million people viewed our first guest video. Take a look at a little bit of this. You can pretend to have your attention for just a few moments. My ex-husband, my new boyfriend, and their divorce attorney are going to show you the safety features of the series. It's been a long day for me. You'll notice in a highly unlikely event that the captain led the snare hot tub, everybody gets their very own teeny weeny yellow southwest bikini. One side flips on, take it out on the shoulder this side, place it over your head, have that strap around your waist, buckle it and hide, pull the tight. And if you're traveling with small children... We're sorry. <laughs> if you're traveling with more than one child, pick out the one that you think might have the most earning potential down the road. From Dallas, Texas, please welcome flight attendant Marty Cobb. Oh, can, my gosh. You thank can you. cry thank if you, you want to. I don't look pretty when I cry. Uh, that's all right. It's a beautiful thing to have emotion. I, I'm, I'm happy thank that you're you. that happy. Thank you um, so didn't much. mean to pull away when you went to touch me. <laughs> I'll leave my hand Okay, there. good. There. I need a security so blanket. You, so you are from Dallas, right? I grew up in Lubbock, and um, I live in Dallas now. All right. So you're based out of there, and this is on Southwest Airlines. And I think that Southwest is known for having humorous, you know, because I've been on some flights where people are, but that was hilarious. That was particularly funny, the entire thing. And how long have you been a flight attendant, number one? About seven and a half years, and I just have to tell you <laughs> how happy I am to be here and how much I love you and respect and admire you. And I just have to... I mean, I can watch you show and in an hour. You can make me laugh and cry, and it just... I just adore you. Oh. I just think you're wonderful. Thank you very much. That's Well, obviously, obviously <laughs> you, you uh, had an impact on me as well because I thought you. that was... Not only, because people try to be funny on flights, but that was really funny. That whole Thank thing. You. If you go online, it's like three minutes of very funny stuff. And we don't bring you here without knowing that you travel a lot and you can help promote the show in a better way. So I'm going to give you a gift that, that when you travel... Um, we'll Boxers? Ha- <laughs> well... Oh my gosh, I love it. I'll have a seat. There's there's stuff in here that that is already packed for you. (laughs) In it are... Oh my gosh. um, First of all, you have Beats headphones. Um, You have Ellen underwear. And you have Ellen socks. Oh my gosh. You have Ellen, uh, my book, my CD. You have booze. Thank God. Oh my gosh. You have an eye mask so you can just... uh, and And a pillow. And, this is awesome. and a blanket. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then oh, this is awesome. you have Thank a $1,000 Visa oh gift God. card. And you have a $2,000 oh Jason Penny. And you have a $3,000 oh. Target. And you have a $4,000 Radio Show. 
And I know you're a single mom, and you have been raising all three kids uh, yes. on your own, and uh, they want to continue their education, and they are working hard to do that. And you're traveling and doing a lot, and it's a lot for you. It's a whole lot for you. So our friends at Shutterfly want to give you $10,000. <gasps> For, like you said, just for, it, it, it's the littlest bit that you can do to add joy into other people's lives. It, it, it makes that is so cool. And by the way, watching that clip, I was thinking, I didn't know Radio Shack was still in business. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, so, so cool. I think if, if Jesus was sitting on Ellen's couch on the Ellen DeGeneres show, I think one of the things that Jesus would lean in and look at Ellen, he would say, I love your heart. I love how you use your influence to be able to bless and help other people, how you're so generous with your time and with your money. In fact, this is what, i got a lot of verses here at the beginning, but Proverbs 11, 24 and 25 says this, give what? Give freely and what's going to happen to you? You're going to become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. I think Jesus would commend Ellen's heart for other people. Ellen loves being generous with people, and she does it in such a cheerful, fun-loving way. I think Jesus would say to Ellen, I wish my people, Christians, were known for their cheerful generosity. In fact, listen to what God commands all Christ followers to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says this, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a what? Small crop. But the one who plants generously, there's that word again, will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who what? gives cheerfully. Absolutely. I think Jesus would say, you just have a generous heart. You give so much, you're not selfish. In fact, listen to what the New York Times, they did an interview about Ellen and her humor and her heart, and here's what she said in this interview. I try to keep every single thing positive. It's so expected now that every joke has to be mean-spirited. Everything has to be against somebody. I don't think that's healthy. And I think Jesus would say, you're right. And he would commend her and applaud her for that. In fact, listen to what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you're doing. Ephesians 4.29 says this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only for what's helpful for building others up. Can you say building others up? Building others up. Here's a question. Are you in the building others up business or do you tear other people down? You see, so many of us, especially us as Christ followers, one of the traps that we can get into is we tear other people down and really God is calling us to build one, one another up. Do you rip people apart? Do you tear them apart? Or do you build them up? By Ellen's own words and by her standards, she wants to build people up. So I think Jesus would have an incredible conversation with Ellen. I think Jesus would totally laugh with Ellen. 
I think Jesus would compliment Ellen about her generosity. I think Jesus would applaud her life in her being an encourager and encouraging others. I think Jesus would say, Ellen, you love with more than words. You love with what you do. And I think Jesus would say to Ellen, I understand that kind of love. My heavenly father could have just used words to express his love, but he used more than words. In fact, listen to what First John chapter 1 says about Jesus. It says this, In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. The word became flesh, that's Jesus becoming flesh, and made his dwelling among us. Now look at this. He came from the Father, and what was he full of? Grace and truth. Jesus is full of grace and truth. And it's these words, grace and truth, that Jesus would address Ellen on her next subject. Because I think Jesus, he would be kind, he would be graceful, But Jesus loves Ellen so much that he would also speak truth about her sexuality. Now, before I go any further, I can just cut the tension in the room in here today. And I just want to give you just a couple of things, promises of where we're going and where we're not going today. Number one, I am going to do just that this morning. I'm going to speak truth, but I'm also going to speak it with grace and love. There isn't a more divisive subject in this country than homosexuality. It's always in the news. Everyone has a stance. It's an emotionally fueled subject. So if you're here today, and if you're gay or you're lesbian or you're bisexual, if you deal with feelings of same-sex attraction, I want you to know three things. First, number one, you matter to God. You matter to God. You really do matter to Jesus Christ. He loves you, and he has an incredible plan for your life. Number two, you matter to this church. I can't speak for every church, but I can speak for this one, and I do. I know you're here today. I know that you're here every week. Some of you serve in our ministries. Some of you, some of the most serving, most committed people to God that I know struggle with same-sex addiction. I know your guard is up right now because this is an unpredictable subject. Know that you matter to this church. And then number three, know that you matter to me. You matter to me. This topic of same-sex attraction has affected me because I have people in my family who have struggled with homosexuality. And know this, as a pastor, I don't ever want to do any harm or cause any damage to anyone in here. So as we speak into this, know that we're going to be talking about what the Bible has to say about this. Not my opinion, and not a denomination's opinion, not a a, a specific church's opinion, but our authority is God's word. And we're going to speak grace and truth. And I am going to speak truth today, but that does not give me the permission to be mean, arrogant, or insensitive. And I will not, I promise you to Ellen or to anyone else who struggles with this. I'm going to treat everyone with respect because that's exactly how God calls us to treat. We're to treat other people the way we want to be treated. So I'm not going to to just go to short, pithy sayings that sometimes the church throws out that's harmful and hurtful and really isn't that helpful. 
Lastly, this morning, I'm going to tell you, we don't have enough time to go into the debate of whether or not somebody is born gay or not. I only have a limited amount of time, and we just can't talk about the source, but what we are going to talk about today is the action. I want to read you a portion of a letter of a friend of mine who is a pastor. He received this letter from a woman who's a lesbian who became a follower of Jesus when she was a teenager, and she writes this. My plan when I got here was to leave it all behind, the gay lifestyle. I wanted to start fresh again, but within a year I was back, involved in a lesbian relationship, primarily with married Christian women. In an effort to straighten up my life, spend time with the church family, stay out of bad influential environments, and all of those other great ideas of the church, I kept ending up in relationships with these women who were supposed to be developing healthy female relationships with me. Then very, the very church I confessed to, cried out to, worshiped with, in the end, stepped on my heart and destroyed my faith. They told me I was on my way to hell. And they backed up their words with scriptures. It nearly sent me to my grave. My heart is filled with anger toward the church and Christians in general. They have failed me and so many others like me. So what would Jesus say to Ellen? I think what Jesus would say to Ellen and the whole LGBT community would be this. I am sorry. I am sorry how my church has so often acted. I believe that Jesus is grieved and he's pained by the mistreatment that has occurred to gay and lesbian people, particularly by people who call themselves Christians. Christianity, at its best, is about loving people, right? It is. And I tell you, the thing I love about Christianity is God's love is for everyone. Everyone. You know, it's so easy to love the right people, whoever the right people are. But I can tell you that the Bible says that any person, black, white, rich, poor, young, old, gay, straight, when they go unloved and mistreated, Jesus is saddened. And I believe that Jesus would say to us, it should sadden you and grieve you as well, church. I think that if Jesus was in a conversation with Ellen, I think Jesus would say to Ellen, I am sorry for how my church has often acted. And many of the stances that they've taken on issues that they should not have taken stances on. The next thing I would think that Jesus would say to Ellen is, I am not against you. I am not against you, Ellen. In fact, I am for you. A guy by the name of Dave Kinnaman, we, I put his name out when we were talking about G, uh, what would Jesus say to Katy Perry. He wrote, he wrote a book, and the book was entitled Unchristian. And in this book, David did a study of the attitudes and the perceptions of people between the ages of 16 to 29 who do not go to church. So these are outsiders, young generation, and they asked the 16 to 29-year-olds, what are your perceptions of Christians and the church? And what he discovered was that their perceptions were overwhelmingly negative. David gave them a long list of words and said, pick out which of these words describe Christians in your mind. There was a long list. It included some really great words that could be very complimentary and some really negative words. In fact, watch this video of some of the words that they chose. 
Christians are old-fashioned. Hypocritical. Anti-gay. Live in a bubble. Too involved in politics. Uh, they believe that they're fake, phony, uh, talk out of both sides of their face, uh, have a list of rules and regulations that they have to follow all the time, and they're definitely not fun. Christians always have ulterior motives. So a lot of my friends, when they think about Christians, they think about people who have no clue, really. Uh, they live in a world that's not real. They're just kind of their own little existence, doing their own little thing. Um, and they are hypocritical. You know, some of them, again, we say certain things, we don't follow it up. People assume that you're coming from this closed-minded worldview. My non-Christian friends think that I am always judging them, that I think that I'm better than them. They assume that Christians don't like gay people. I feel like we're just in a place right now where we have to surprise people and challenge their assumptions about what Christianity is because the assumptions that people have about Christianity are so firm at this point that they can actually parody us with pretty good accuracy. Listen to some of the words that 16 to 29 year olds use to describe Christianity. I'm going to go from the bottom of the list up. Here's the first one. 68% of people consider Christians as boring. The reason why is some of us are. <laughs> All right. Second one is this. We're out of touch with reality. 72%, three out of four people, say that Christians really don't have a firm grasp of reality. The next one, too involved in politics. Too involved in politics. Three out of four people say that we're too, we care too much about donkeys and elephants. Would totally agree with that one. Next one, old-fashioned. 78% of people say we're old-fashioned. Hypocritical, 85%. Again, that, that's, a, that's a label that we can all wear. A, a hypocrite is somebody who says one thing and does another. And hear me, all of us in here are guilty of that. All right. If you don't believe it and if you have children, just ask your kids. Right? They will gladly tell you. Judgmental, 87% of people say when they think of Christians, we're judgmental. And the number one on the list. When somebody says the word Christian, nine out of ten immediately say they are anti-homosexual. Anti-homosexual. The number one thing that defines a Christian in their mind is that we are against Homosexuals. In fact, Kinnaman writes this. They don't perceive us to be anti-homosexuality, the act. They perceive Christians in the church to be anti-homosexual. And Kinnaman continues to write. When you identify yourself as a Christian to a friend, neighbor, or business associate, you might as well have tattooed on your forehead, anti-homosexual, gay hater, and homophobic. He did another study with people who are inside the church. These are people who are going to church. And to no surprise, Christians in the church ranked homosexuality as a greater sin than any other sin in the Bible. <laughs> I think Jesus would say to Ellen, I am not against anyone. I am not anti-anyone. I love everyone. The Bible says that God so loved the world. And that means everybody in the world. Here's our big idea today. Christians should be known by who we are for and not what we oppose. Christians should be known by who we are for, not what we oppose. What if Christians were more known for the people that we help? 
what if Christians were more known for their character that we display rather than who or what we're against? When I read those survey results of unchristian, it breaks my heart, and I think it breaks Jesus' heart. It grieves me that there's such a difference between what the church is portraying to the world and who Jesus is and who we claim to follow. It's almost like the church has forsaken the person of Jesus and the message that we have chosen to cast our lot with the Pharisees and the religious people. I think Jesus would look at Ellen and say, I'm not against you, I am for you, I created you, Ellen. I long for you to experience the fullness of life that only comes through me. But I think Jesus would continue. Ellen, I want to be totally honest and transparent with you. I think Jesus would say, homosexuality is not God's best for your life. Jesus would say, homosexuality is a sin, but it is not the sin. There are multiple places in both the Old and the New Testament where the Bible is very clear that same-sex activity as identified is a sin. And I want to show you a couple of these because a lot of people, especially Christians in the church, they like flaunting these verses. And my goal for you to hear this today is this, is not judgment. As we look at these lists, I want you to see that this isn't, we're not just talking about one sin today. We're talking about everybody's sin because we are going to see ourselves in God's word today as we look at these lists. This is the first one is in Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one, let me give you some context. Um, Paul wrote Romans and the first chapters, one, two, and three of Romans, he is kind of pleading a case. He's saying everybody's jacked up. He's saying everybody has sinned. Everybody has went off the reservation all of us, when we have a choice between good or evil, we always choose evil. That's Paul's premise, and he does a great job proving it. This is what he says in, on the premise of, that we've all sinned. This is in Romans chapter 1, verse 26. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulge in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty that they deserved. People often come to this passage to show that same-sex relationships are a sin. And it's clearly there. But if we keep reading, let's just don't stop. Because, see, if you're straight here today and you're thinking, oh, I get a pass on this one. Eh. Because God is going to be talking about all of us here today. In fact, listen to what he says as we keep on reading this, uh, these verses. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. Look at this next one. They invent new ways of sinning and they what? Stop. That was a big, long list. How many of you saw yourself in that list? By the way, if you didn't, I'm going to give you another list. We're going to give you a second chance to kind of get in there, all right? This isn't just about one group and one sin. You see, what Paul is doing is he is really creating an airtight argument that all of us have sinned. All of us had sinned. And I think Jesus would say, yes, homosexuality is a sin, but it's not the sin. Because the church over the years, listen to me, has a tendency to get really loud against the sins that they don't struggle with. 
You don't hear too many churches, again, talking about certain sins because that's a little bit too close to home. But man, they will rail against sins that they, have, that they don't struggle with. And let me tell you, that's why people think we're hypocrites. Because all of us struggle. All of us struggle with something. And if you think that you're perfect and you think that you are just so high and mighty, let me tell you, the one person in here that I pity is you. And the one person that Jesus can't save is you. Because Jesus only came to save sinners. And all of us in here are that. The point of Paul's list here is that we can all find ourselves in this list. All of us. All of us have backstabbed people. All of us have gossiped. All of us are struggling with pride. And some of you in here, you're like, man, if we were really honest, you would be three or four on that list, right? Not just one. Let me show you another list. This, this next one is great, all right? 1 Corinthians 6, 9, this is what it says. Or do you not know that what? Wrongdoers will inherit, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wrongdoers will not inherit. How many of y'all are wrongdoer? Still, some of you are not raising your hands. I'm sorry. Um, if you are here this morning and you're not a wrongdoer, Jesus, we're glad you're here. But the rest of you are jacked up. Right? We, all of us are wrongdoers. And then he goes on and he expands this list. Do not be deceived, he says. In fact, I would probably add, do not be self-deceived. Because self-deception really is one of the greatest deceptions. Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral. I'm going to stop right there. If you are here and you are having sex before marriage, there you are. If you are here and you are having sex and you're not married, you're living with somebody. There you are. If you're here and you're married and you're having sex with somebody other than your spouse, there you are. If you are here and if you are taking pictures on Snapchat of you and you're sending it to somebody other than your spouse, if you're here and you struggle with pornography, that, that pretty much covers all of us. Neither the sexually immoral or idolaters. Let's, let's stop right here. Hypothetically, what is an idolater? An idolater will be someone who spent more money on sports or on their hobby than they've given to Jesus this year. Hypothetically. I'm sure none of us have done. That's not us. Nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers. Anybody been to a women's Bible study lately? That's going to leave a mark. Uh, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's quite a list, isn't it? Includes every person in this room. Everyone, like, let me see your hands. How many of y'all? There you go. All of us. In fact, if we were really honest, we'd be going, yeah, there was this one, and there was this one, and there was this one, Right? Here's the powerful thing that Paul writes to sum up this last verse. Look at this last verse. And this is what some of you, what? You see, we're not identified by that anymore. We're not identified by that. We're identified with someone, not what we do. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, you were made right with God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit 
of our God. All of these sins that we've talked about are on the same list, the same ground as homosexuality. So I believe Jesus would say, yes, same-sex relationship is a sin, but it's, a li- it's one amongst many other sins. The Bible addresses, notice this, homosexual activity is a sin, but the Bible doesn't say that the temptation of same-sex attraction is a sin. The Bible addresses the behavior, and it does, that the behavior is a sin, but not the desire. Now, I think there's a difference between the temptation and the act. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way. And do you remember that our big idea a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Walter White? This was our big idea. Remember this? That sin always leads to death. I think Jesus would say, I am not anti-anyone. I am not against anyone. I love everyone. And because I love everyone, and because sin always leads to death, I think Jesus would lean into Ellen, and he would say, Ellen, I love you just how you are, but I love you too much to allow you to remain there. Sin always leads to death, always. Sin will destroy every good thing in your life. Sin will always come in between our relationship with God, and it will lead to the death of a marriage. It will lead to the death of a career. It will lead to the death of a relationship between you and another person. It will lead to the death of finances, death physically, death emotionally. Just any sin can lead to any of those deaths because sin always leads to death. What Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 6 and Romans 1 is that there is no them in us. We're all knee-deep in need of God's grace because we're all sinners. Jesus is saying today, I want more for you. And if you're here, and like I said, you're straight, but you're struggling through some of these other things that we've talked about, know this. Jesus is saying, I love you. I always love you. But I love you too much to keep you where you're at. I want to bring you into life where you can experience it to the full. You've got to trust that Jesus has good things in store for you. Trust that he wants what is best for you. Before you decide what you feel, what's right inside, decide if you really do trust Jesus or not. And I think how, that's how Jesus would end his conversation with Ellen. Jesus would say to Ellen, I want you to have a relationship with me. I am wanting you to trust me and to trust in me. And this really does get to the crux of the matter because Jesus isn't interested in your sexuality and your sexual orientation. Jesus is interested in you. He's interested in me. You see, Jesus isn't trying to just get us to start doing something or to stop doing something. Those are behaviors. Jesus didn't come to change our behaviors. Did you know that? Some of you, you grew up in a church where they were all about changing what you did. Stop doing that. Start doing that. They were all over changing your behaviors. Jesus did not come to change behaviors. Jesus come to cha- to, so he could change us from the inside out. And when that happens, when he changes our heart, listen to what 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what? New person. The old life is, the new life is, it's begun. God wants to make you new inside, not just to change behaviors on the outside. And many of us, when we think of religion or Christianity, we think of it kind of as an upgrade. It's kind of the 2.0. But Christianity isn't an upgrade. It's not trying to make your old life better. 
Christianity is saying the old life is gone and the new life has come. I think that's how Jesus would end his conversation with Ellen. Jesus would say to Ellen, there is a whole different course and direction that I have for your life. I have great things in store for you, Ellen. I just didn't come to make your old life better. I've come so that you can have a new life. Now, I think Jesus would say, also, know that I love you. You don't have to change your lifestyle, Ellen, before coming to me. You don't have to let me do the changing. I want you to just come to me. I want a relationship with you. Know that as a church, our response isn't to change anyone. Our response is one thing. Love. Love has the power to transform. Jesus accepts Ellen just like Jesus accepts me with all of my struggles. Jesus accepts you with all of your junk. And as we close, if you're struggling with same-sex attraction today, let me give you some hope. Because I'm not against you. We are not anti-you. We are for you. And I'm so glad you're here today. I believe that Jesus Christ came to give us hope. For some of you, the hope lies in that you can change. But I, I believe that change is possible. In fact, why do I believe that? Because sometimes God intervenes and helps us change. In fact, look at what Luke 18, 27 says. He replied, Jesus did, what is, what is it? Impossible for people is what? Possible with God. For some of you, God can change your heart and change your struggle with same-sex attraction. But for others, this may be a struggle you always deal with. I don't want to sugarcoat anything. You may, I think all of us, every one of us in this room, we have that sin that we struggle with. And you know what I'm talking about. When I say that sin, you went, oh, yep, did it last night, already had to talk to Jesus about it. We all have that sin that we struggle with, and this may be for you. Let me, for, let me just say, this. for others of you, you can honor God by remaining sexually celibate. This is so huge, and I wish I had so much time to go into this, but there's a passage in 1 Corinthians that talks about for those who are single, you're able to do so much more for God than those who are married and have children. I've got a wife, and I've got three kids. And for those of you who are married, and especially if you're a mom, if you're a stay-at-home mom, God bless you. You're busy, right? I mean, you feel like you're juggling, you're juggling plates, and you're like, and you're like man, I'm having a hard time just reading a verse a day. And I understand that. Imagine, though... For those people who you're not married yet, I believe God calls some for us to stay single so that you can do so much more for God than those who have decided to get married and decided to have children. There's nothing wrong with any of those. I mean, remaining, remaining single can be a blessing. And some for you, that's exactly how you feel. It, it's a blessing. A, a guy that I love reading, his name is Henry Nowen. Henry Nowen, he's passed away now, but he really was the formative spiritual director of the, of the 20th century, this past century. Godly man. Um, one of my favorite books by him is called In the Name of Jesus. Really small book. I would encourage you to read it. He, he's written tons of books. I love this author. I've quoted him many times here at One Church. Let me tell you about Henry Nowen. In his personal journals after he passed away, he talked openly about his struggles with same-sex addiction. 
about his attraction and temptation. But he, Henry, made the choice, the intentional choice, because he didn't think that's what God was really wanted for him, to remain sexually celibate. And he did so throughout his entire life. And he impacted so many for Christ. So many for Christ. How do we apply this message today? First, if you're a Christian who struggles with same-sex attraction, know that this isn't going to be easy. There's going to be a, there may be a part of you that's always longing, always have that desire. What do you do with that unfulfilled desire? 1 Peter chapter 5 tells us what you do with that unfulfilled desire. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble, humility, let's define what that is. Humility is a decision to put God's interest ahead of yours. That's what humility is. And when you have that internal conflict inside of us, when you desire something that is different than what God desires for our lives, humility is saying, God, I'm going with you. I trust you, God. Look what it says in verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. What God is saying is this. Do what I'm asking you to do. Humble Humble yourself. God is wanting you to leave the results in God's hands, where you declare, God, I need you. I need you. I am dependent upon you. I can't fix this desire in my life. I can't. I can't, but you can. If you don't show up, God, nothing's going to happen. Look what he says in in verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand, and look at this next promise, that he may what? Lift you up, and this is the part we hate, in due time. Due time for you can be different than due time with God. You're thinking, okay, I heard the sermon today. By Thursday, I'm going to be fixed, right? Uh Uh-uh. Here's the promise God gives us in this verse. In due time, God will intervene on your behalf. And I don't know quite what that looks like. Everyone's circumstances are different, but in due time, God will show up. And something will happen. I've seen some men and women live in the due time for a long time. But at the end of the humility and faithfulness, God does amazing things. Either in their life personally, they change and their desires change. Or God gives them the patience and the grace they need to remain single, celibate, and have a huge impact for Christ. I've seen people who have decided, even if the due time is a long time, I would rather spend the due time waiting on God for him to do something in me and through me the way that God wants it to happen, than if I just gave in to temptation. You humble yourself under God, and he will lift you up. Look at this. Last verse, 1 Peter 5, 7. Give. Everybody say give. Give means throw, cast, unload, back the truck up, beep, beep, and dump those desires on him. Dump all of your worries and your cares to God, for he what? Let me tell you, if you wonder what God thinks about for you, he cares for you. He cares that you're struggling. God realizes that some of your desires, wishes, and dreams may go unfulfilled. God wants to know that there's a part of you, he knows that that longs for that intimacy. But God is saying, I don't want you to pretend that they don't exist. Don't pretend. Don't pretend they're not there. Acknowledge them, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to come to me, and I want you to put all of those desires, dreams, 
on me. To get on your knees and say, God, I know your heart. And I know what you want for my life. And I'm willing to humble myself and follow you. If it's causing you anxiety, and it looks like you may have a, a, a need that may never be met, I want you to bring it all to me. Secondly, I'm sorry, I'm going long. Secondly, if you're a Christian who doesn't struggle with this area of same-sex attraction, what should we do? Well, know this, that that same-sex attraction that we saw is in a big list of a lot of other things, and all of us are struggling with those other things. With God's help, clean yourself up. Allow God to clean you up. If you're, having, if you're struggling with pornography, go and talk to somebody about that. If you're struggling in an affair, go and talk to somebody about that. If you're struggling with gossip, have somebody hold you accountable because all of us have stuff that we struggle with. I mean, if you think about it, this past year, we've talked about pornography, we've talked about identity issues, we've talked about a lot of different things. And this is one of those things today. But listen, this is so interesting. You know the one thing that Jesus calls us to do as a body? It, it, sit down. It's going to surprise you. John 13. I am giving you a new commandment. You ready for it? Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will, what is that word? Prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus says this. Look, you don't need to wear a cross around your neck or to wear a, a, a Christian t-shirt or to put a, a steeple on a church building. You don't need to do any of that to identify yourselves as followers of me. Here's what you need to do. You need to love people the way that I love them. How did Jesus love them? Full of grace and truth. Always. We can treat other people with love while not agreeing with them. This isn't about agreeing. This is about loving. And as I close, I want to say this. Ellen does a great job loving other people, doesn't she? She does. I mean, she does a great job giving to other people. Imagine the impact that we as Christians could have if we loved other people the way Ellen loved other people. Imagine that. The love that she has for other people, if we as Christ followers would say, you know what, I'm going to love you. I will never stop loving you. There's nothing that you could ever do that could push me away because I love you that much. Can you imagine what Clarksville would look like if every husband, wife, every child living in Clarksville said, you know what, we're just going to love people. We're going to serve people. We're going to be generous to other people. We're going to put our arms around our fellows, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who struggle with same-sex attraction and any and every other stuff out there. We're going to love people because Jesus loved people. And he gave to people. And we're going to weep with those who weep. We're going to mourn with those who mourn. We're going to laugh with those who laugh. We are just going to be Jesus to them because we're all sinful. We're all in need of grace. We're not anti-anyone. At onechurch.tv, we are for Jesus. That's who we're for. We're not anti-anyone. We're just going to be all out lovers of other people. So my challenge, I want us this week, 
I want us to be like Ellen. I want us to love people like Ellen did. In fact, let me just go another step further. I want us to love people like Jesus. Love people. To really give. I mean, to be put out physically if you have to give money to a homeless person. You do that. But I don't know what they're going to do with it. It doesn't matter what they do with it. You're called to love. And not just love with words, but love and give. I've got to be honest with you. I have been really struggling through this sermon. I don't know if you know this. I, I am really concerned about the people who are in here and out there when we talk about a subject like this. That they, I don't want them to see any condemnation or hate. And I hope, and what I've shared with you this morning, you've not sensed any of that. And if I've come across in any way in that way, I ask your forgiveness. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much, Lord. God, that you love me, even through all of my stuff. I know how difficult and painful a subject like this could be. And God, I pray, God, I pray. Lord, the closer we get to you, the farther, farther away we could just get from our stuff. I thank you so much for, Lord, just the love that you've given Ellen. I pray that one day, if she doesn't know you, Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that she would come to know you. Because I think you and her would have a lot of laughs. I pray that one day she would be able to leverage her influence for you, God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.